0: Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Friends and family, I'm recording this from home for the first time in almost a month. I have my amazing wife currently getting some rest. She has been up since very early this morning. I have our cat Rosie on my right. She is looking like she's going to pounce and kill me. And then we got our boy Rocky, who is just sticking his butt in my face, uh, showing me who's the boss. What does all this mean? Life has returned to normal. Home here for a few days, then turning around and heading right out for possibly my favorite weekend on the calendar, other than the Indy 500, that being Road America oh it's just the best y'all i hope you go was remembering that back in 2017 i think was it had the very first live mp podcast right there in victory lane it was a uh it was a true blast nonetheless heading back there can't wait to see a lot of friends and just go to a place that loves indycar more than almost any other so if that isn't a gift, I don't know what is. So I hope I get to see many of you there. If there are going to be some of you, we'll try and do a hashtag uh, Pruday meetup like we did at Indianapolis, both the road course and just before the 500. Try and do a little meetup and say hello. It's just really cool to meet the fine, fine folks who've come together and uh, formed their own listener group. A uh, bunch of really great men and women who do cool, benevolent things, raise money for charity, and then just on a daily basis talk a lot of nonsense and have a lot of fun together. So if you want to join that group, it's wide open. Just send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S, prudayrocks at gmail.com, and join a new family, add another family. I don't know if the one you got's good. I can tell you these folks are good, though, and you're going to laugh a lot, and you're going to learn a lot of crazy stuff and have conversations about things you never imagined you would. So uh, prudayrocks at gmail.com. Need to say a big I'm sorry. I was thinking about this over the weekend. It's been a pretty crazy year so far. Covering IndyCar solo for the first time, it has taken... All of my free time and more also taking over what was Miller's mailbag, what has become racers mailbag starting in, I think the beginning of November, Um, just been a case where (sighs) extracurricular time, which is where this podcast has fit into since I started recording episodes back in January of 2016 ahead of pushing it live in May of 2016. It's always fit into a place of overtime, extracurricular, etc. And as I have found myself with little to no free and extra time, I just haven't been posting many podcasts. I've still got, I don't know, 50 to 70 gigabytes of unpublished content sitting in my podcast folder. And I just realized that, you know what? Uh, haven't been happy with this, and even though it's been an easy excuse to say I've been overwhelmed and far too busy, and eh, I don't really like that excuse. So, starting this week, I'm going to make a much stronger push to get back into form, get back into the game, and if I'm not publishing at least two to three episodes per week, then I will be failing. So, let this be the first, and there will be more to come. I have not done any guest shows for a while. Guest Q&A, IndyCar shows, and we're going to fix that this week as well. So starting on Wednesday, friend of the show, Beth Peretta, owner of Peretta Autosport, she is indeed going to be our guest. And I'll put out the call for questions here shortly. And not going to do a Twitter Spaces Racing Family thing with Beth. Just want to do a regular, you send in the questions, do about a half hour with her and just enjoy her in podcast form so just going to try and keep that up and ramp up the old episodes like i used to uh last quick note here before we get rolling (sighs) sad this is the final episode with questions put together by the supremely kind and loving and giving and faithful man known as jim kaiser Jim has taken a new job. That job is going to soak up his free time. And so he is passing the uh, good old Q&A assembly baton to a listener, friend of the show, was there for one of the very first live podcast shows too, I think mid-Ohio, maybe 2017, Jerry Robert Suddath. So we have our pal Jim, who has coached up Jerry. And so next week will be Jerry's very first time taking over the, uh, the good old show Q and a here and just want to say a massive thanks to Jim. Uh, I know that it has indeed taken a decent amount of time, just his style as well. Looking through all the questions, deciding what's the best fit for the week, uh, the best flow for those questions too. He has definitely taken what Tim Falkowitz started, added his own creative stylings And now I can't wait to see what our friend Jerry is going to do. So as we get rolling here, I'll make a little note to get a music bed, uh, which keys the point where we're going to start doing the Q and the A. Want to say a big thank you to y'all. Good Lord. Despite throttling back on podcasts, despite not being as consistent as I want with the listener Q and A show, Boy, there is no shortage of participation. Uh, according to Jim, this week huh, we had seventy-seven zero questions come in, totaling more than four thousand words—four thousand and forty-one words. Uh, the weekly racer mailbag that I do, just so you know, uh, I don't honestly count the number of questions, but I do look at the number of words submitted. Um, 2,500 on average per week, maybe 3,000. So just saying that mailbag's been around for decades. Uh, this listener Q and a has been around for about five years and y'all are just absolutely crushing it with questions. So try to get to as many as we can about an hour, maybe hour 15 if needed in terms of show duration. And also what we do is if somebody asks a question and there's two or three others that are similar, We tend to just pick the one, Jim in this case, and now Jerry going forward, pick the one that fits best. So like I said, we might not get to every single question submitted, but if you hear one that's similar to yours, just know uh, the choice was made to go with whomever sent the one that maybe fit the show the best. So thanks to y'all. We're going to get rocking and rolling here. And who are we going with first? What are we talking about first coming out of the Detroit Grand Prix? My pal Lance Snyder, the person I refer to as my minister of mirth, says, given DJ Willie P's work, willpower, his work on the mental game for the season, could the willpower of a few years ago have made that last stint on Sunday possible? I think so, Lance, because to be honest, that hasn't been the kind of thing that would derail a willpower. Uh, It would be the pressure if the gap being cut down lap by lap by Alex Rossi was being given to him and him letting that take him off his game. The actual driving of the vehicle, managing of tires, being smart in that capacity, that's pretty much always been a willpower thing. Uh, Letting the big monster uh, get closer and closer in his mental mirrors that's the kind of thing that would have derailed him a few years ago still need to catch up with will put a call into him today know that a lot of drivers are traveling today but maybe we'll catch up here tomorrow tuesday lance just want to catch up with will and find out what it is what's going on that is working so well now he and i did discuss this a bit i think saturday night at st petersburg Uh, he and his wife Liz and their son Bo were coming back from dinner and we ended up catching up for I don't know 10 or 15 minutes uh, that night I think Friday night Saturday night whatever it was must have been Saturday night and just talking about this new vibe coming from Will that I've seen before but it's been eight years or so since I've seen that guy and so Got a feel for what's going on here, Lance, but I want to come back with something a little deeper for you. Probably put that into a story. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a podcast if it's good enough. But as I've mentioned on the show however many times before, Will and I used to do this pre-season dance month before the first race, whatever it was, what's different? How are you coming into this year different than the last? What's the mental approach? What's the tweak? And he would always have something and it would be a highly intentional thing. Hey, this thing fell apart last year. So I'm going to respond by doing a or B or C and you had a couple more years and he'd say, you know what? I tried B and that worked for me a couple years ago, but man, uh, I'm a different driver now, so that wouldn't work. So I need to go in a different direction. And it was this constant search for the magical thing that was going to work over the span of the full season. Inevitably, it would either work and work for a period and then not, or it wouldn't work at all from the outset, and he'd have to find something different and some way or the other. He'd get a couple wins, go on some runs, but things would fluctuate and he would not get to the promised land of earning a championship. Finally did in 2014. Awesome, obviously. But since then, not so much. So just want to find out what it is that Will is doing differently or what he has tapped into all just based on the conversations we've had for 10, 12, however many years now now on this exact topic, Lance. And uh, yeah, maybe that'll be an interesting thing to read or listen to. Our pal Ryan Terpstra says, hope it was good for you to be home after all that time away. Says, now that we're past India, I think it's uh, traditional to give more focus on the title. Says, I'll take willpower and give you the field. Fair bet? Wow, look at that, doubling down. It's going to be interesting here, Ryan, is joseph newgarden man that guy is just a white hot intensity ball of everything could i see him if not responding with another poll this weekend going on and winning the race absolutely uh i would be very surprised if joseph newgarden is not the winner of this race that's just how the guy works If you caught the interviews with him after the race at Detroit, have you ever seen a more seething fourth place finisher? The guy was damn near grinding his teeth. He was so mad having gone from first to fourth, nobody's fault. It's the way the strategy played out. Again, all the things you might've seen or heard, but that guy finished fourth and looked like he finished last. I realize that intensity isn't necessarily a tangible product that he can then use to put it on pole and win and say, aha, this was all fueled by Detroit not going exactly the way that I wanted. But that's kind of what he does. Uh, Again, I, I don't know the mechanism behind it, but I do know that we have seen this Chevrolet engine. It's a really strong thing. And I have a feeling it's going to be strong yet again at Road America. And you take Joseph, who he just has something special to uncork when he needs to. It's not like he decides to keep it corked uh, at other times. Just saying that he's always good. He's always amazing. But there are just these moments where you can see in him something's a little different. Coming out of Detroit, it feels like we might have one of those moments. So, uh, what is Will Power going to do? Is he going to be smart and earn another podium if a win isn't possible? Or is he going to try and chase down a New Garden or Rossi or Herta or O'Ward, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Yeah, uh, I got to admit, the guy is looking like he is really locked in and in a good place. I would also add Pato, Ward, and Alex Pillow to that. I don't know outside of the Indy 500 if we have seen the Ganassi team look truly, truly sharp uh, enough to win on a road or street course. This weekend's going to tell us a lot in terms of how the rest of the championship is going to play out. So Andretti was looking really good at Detroit, but... Really good with one driver who went on a a fun and crazy strategy call. That being Rossi ended up second as a whole, though, other than Alex, the rest of the team looked pretty pedestrian for what we would expect for Bendretti. So just mention these things, Ryan, because yeah, I think power's onto something good, but I don't know. I need to see a little bit of adversity thrown his way. I need to see something go totally wrong and then see if he stays locked into that place. Pato doesn't seem to be phased by much of anything. Alex Pillow, I'm somewhat convinced, is dead. He's an actual zombie. Uh, There appears to be nothing that can really take him off his game. Power? History has shown he can be taken off his game many times in many ways. What we haven't witnessed so far for me to say willpower, title favorite, I'm in agreement with you, is that big, dramatic poop-in-the-bed type thing, whether he spins and throws it away, he gets knocked out of place uh, on track, he has an electrical problem, a gearbox problem, does he lose it, does he snap? And in the moment, we might all go, yeah, okay, I'd respond the same way. But what does that do with the next race? Is he out of this groove or not? If things go well and he doesn't have to have any of these issues, maybe we don't need to find out. We won't find out and maybe he'll cruise to a title. But I still want to see if that does come his way. Something bad, something negative. Does that kick him out of this great groove he's been on? Uh, Jeremy Lorton says there was some question about the start of the race and how spread out the field was of the green flag does it make a big difference to those mid pack or at the back of the field you think the start of the race should have been scrubbed in the field asked to tighten up Uh, also says all the best to you and yours thank you jeremy yeah it was not better than bad to quote ren and stimpy uh yeah it wasn't excellent by any means Was I surprised that they, although the green was thrown, that they didn't say, hey, wait a minute. No, actually, you all line up again and try it over. I was a little bit surprised there. Uh, Did it make huge differences? Not really. Knowing how everything played out from a strategy standpoint, those who dove off of their two stoppers right away, seemingly lap five and six and whatever else, um, I don't think it really hurt too much. Uh, We saw what, for those who did line up, we saw Takuma Sato get passed right away uh, by Pagino, I believe, Elio uh, as well. So of those who did start the race the way it was intended to, there was a little bit of jockeying, and that part was good. As for the rest behind them, yeah, uh, you kind of made that your own. Uh, You made that problem yourselves, and so if that did adversely affect anybody, I guess I don't feel too bad about it. No one else's fault but their own. Uh, Andrew Miller says, the alone yellow marshal, does a non waved yellow have a meaning in IndyCar? Uh, I says, I went looking at marshalling websites. Uh, I think he's talking about that yellow and the exit of turn two on lap one that was taken away, the one leading off of Jeremy's question where I think some of us thought maybe that was the first yellow that was going to be waved. Uh, we were going to see yellows around the rest of the track as they packed up the field, but indeed, that wasn't the case. Uh he mentioned a stationary yellow isn't supposed to be an option at all. Uh but those websites seem to be FI focus. says uh just a guy who misheard something on the race control channel, I presume. I don't know. Uh I think it was, as you mentioned, just a phantom yellow here. Um didn't seem to affect the outcome of the race, the start of the race too much. Um yeah. Just a not great first lap. Huh, just simple as that just from a race administration standpoint uh the drivers in the s- second half of the field didn't line themselves up i don't know if indycar was in their ears yelling at them to do so but i can tell you that lee Diffy, uh sitting in a booth with only the view really the view of the track primarily from tv monitors was able to spot at the halfway point of the final pace lap Hey, uh, boy, this is going to be an issue unless everybody accelerates. So if Lee is seeing it, uh, I got to believe that those in race control would see it. And I would have to hope they were on the horn telling, Hey, pack up. Um, if they didn't, that's yet another shame, but yeah, wasn't a, a great opening lap, but thankfully really did not seem to have any major effect on how the race played out. Robbie Berggren. Good to, uh, Good to see you here, pal. It says, Marshall, still sending prayers for you and your wife and, and and pet the cats for me. All right, Rose. I know if you just heard her go, meow. But yeah, she's now looking back like, fool, I appreciate the petting, but uh, you almost like, might lose a finger. Yeah, she's a nut. Um, Robbie says, going to miss Belle Isle immensely. Same here, Robbie. First time I was there, I think 1996. Absolutely loved it. Uh, and not just the Belle Isle part, but Detroit. Um, having grown up, spent probably half-ish my life uh, in San Francisco. Uh, not always in the postcard areas of uh, San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, Detroit, I I understand completely and have loved it from my first time there. So, um, have only ever known it from the Belle Isle days, Robbie. So, I'm with you. Uh, I am genuinely going to miss that. So he says, uh, well, even the early races when they ran a picnic drive and it was hard to pass, the track always brought entertainment at Belle Isle. I really hope the new layout can continue to bring the fun. (sighs) I'm a little concerned that that might not be be the case. I'll tell you, too, the amount of drivers at Detroit – I'm sorry, at Indy, right before we'd even finished the Indy 500, the amount of drivers just talking about what's coming up next, et cetera, et cetera, the amount of IndyCar drivers who said, I really do not want to stop going to Belle Isle. Nothing against the new layout, but just knowing how much the drivers truly enjoy how punishing Belle Isle is and how it tears up their hands and how it just swallows cars and corners and suspensions and all the damage it does. Even knowing all that, Robbie, just the amount of high caliber drivers who are like, yeah, this is not, not going to make me happy. Uh, I, I really appreciated that. Um, Why don't we go to uh, stay on one or two more here on Belle Isle. Then there's a question about, Simon Paginot, Uh Hitaroki 2, says, Marshall, even though the TV ratings uh, have been mixed, it looks like the physical attendance, maybe outside of Texas, uh, has been very good this year. Do you know what kind of attendance numbers we saw at Detroit? Uh, I do not. So I'm recording this a little over 24 hours after the race is over, and uh, I didn't think to ask. Uh, I don't know if they would provide. I can tell you that just the overhead shots, grandstands, looked pretty good not great, pretty good. Um, I think this is the big thing they're hoping to improve with this move to downtown. I mean, I know it's one of the big things they're looking to improve, but just saying in terms of goals, why would you do this? Why would you move from a track all the drivers love uh, to a place that circuit wise looks pretty boring? Uh, but why would you do that? I think attendance is something that while bell isle it's been a while since it was a raging success i think this is the big hope Uh, they've even said they think about half the track is going to be openly viewable for free from folks just walking by or on you know whatever vantage point i do think that's the big goal here to really make this more of a (sighs) festival type environment something more of a a true street party type thing like we would see at long beach or now nashville that's been the one negative or weird thing about belle isle not the most fan friendly place in terms of it being open uh connected communal right hey we're gonna go watch over here we're gonna sit on the back straight there's like there's a grandstand middle the back straight It's not a big grandstand, but middle of the back straight. No real passing goes on there. And other than that, you just stare across onto water. And that's pretty. But really, it's the most, there's nothing going on. Why would you sit here type place? And yet, you know, they sell tickets for it and people would sit there and that's great. But (sighs) hospitality has been a little bit of a weird thing they used to have uh hospitality temporary things erected in the middle of what the little kind of island chicane thing in the back straight uh you'd cross over bridge they took that away so now that's all just empty space in the middle um it's just a bit of a weird you can get to this section but not really that section and you can go look here a little bit but not really over there and i think the goal here i know the goal here hitteroki is to use this new venue as one that feels like it's more of like a big come one come all enjoy the show and see a lot of the track and not have a lot of hindrances in getting around and seeing things that's what belle isle has been it's there are sections where f- folks sit And then the cars go run away and blast away and do stuff over in sections where people really don't have places to sit and there's no real free viewing area and so it's kind of a go away and hide but then come back and you can see it a little here but not there they're hoping to fix that and i got to imagine the goal is to get some real quality uh trackside viewing numbers uh ricky zagata says with this being the last Belle isle race what is your favorite memory Probably the first one, where it rained crazily, was there with Genoa Racing for the Indy Lights race. Rained so heavily they pushed the race back, and it was run after the kart IndyCar race there in '96. And I just remember being soaked but loving it, and we were all soaked. Like it was one of those crazy, quick, torrential downpours. But just remember being soaked but loving it. And it was just weird and fun and everything was seemingly up in the air. When were we going to run? What was going to happen? We ended up getting to basically watch the kart race while waiting to do ours. Normally, we would run before the kart race and then put everything away and miss the vast majority of the race while just doing our normal jobs of packing up and going home. This was just a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> where it was like all right well uh you kind of got nothing to do for the next couple hours so uh watched the race had a blast and then i don't even remember how we did i think tony Kanon might have won uh that race or was it elio i don't remember uh maybe emberingham hell i don't know but uh yeah that was just fun it was just a lot of fun so yeah i think that's my uh probably my favorite uh dan gallagher You ask, what really happened to Simon Paginot at the end of the race? So I wrote about this in my racer cool-down lap column. Uh, Simon ran out of fuel and ran out of fuel on approach to start finish. Uh, Not slow enough to pull over and stop and get past, but uh, coasted across the finish line according to their telemetry at 45.5 miles an hour indycar decided that simon was a quote incident in action or i forget the exact phrasing but uh this was under caution right willpower cross the finish line the uh checkered flag and basically the yellow flew at the same time it was a full course yellow because of Renus vk's crash back in turn six um that meant that the field was frozen frozen in terms of racing's over uh The winner has crossed the finish line. The rest of you follow and proceed to the finish line and cross it. Do not pass each other. Competition portion of this race, or actually portion, the competition aspect of this race is over. The race is complete. Uh, Just everybody cross the finish line. Done. In position. Don't pass one another. Uh, Simon lost power. Right, Ran out of fuel. Ended up coasting across the line at 45.5 miles an hour. Uh, he was passed by Marcus Erickson and Colton Herta. No, nothing critical or negative to say about those two. Um, But in Simon's mind, he crossed the finish line in seventh. Um, And those two who passed them did not make any sense to him why they would hold on to the position. IndyCar decided differently. Uh, I know that Mike Shank argued with them for about an hour after the race, and they didn't want to hear it. And so they cited a rule that has about 19 numbers in it, seven point this, point that, point the other, uh, which basically said you've got to maintain pace car speed, and if you don't, you're considered as being in an incident. And therefore, that's what happened to Simon. Therefore, whomever passed him, you get to keep those positions, even though it was under full course yellow. Um, That's what happened. So he finished ninth. Um, The thing that makes no sense to me is this. IndyCar said he failed to maintain pace car speed. Great. Uh, There's no pace car on track, right? This truly, this happened within a very short period of the race coming to an end. On that last lap, it's the only lap listed under, if you look at the the actual um, lap chart of the race, lap 70 is the only one that's yellow. And halfway through lap 70, uh, Renus VK crashed. So in a lap that takes what 80 seconds or whatever it is um not a lot of time to dispatch a pace car nor do i think you really would but just trying to get to the point here that the thing IndyCar said was you did not maintain pace car speed therefore it's up to us we reserve the right to judge who finishes where can't be appealed can't be overruled can't be questioned you name it um i just think it's total bs And this is, you know, I don't care who the driver was. This isn't specific to Simon or or Shank or anyone. Running out of fuel, got it. Not great, happens. Uh, Did he cross the finish line at about half of what they say pace car speed happens to be? Yeah. They say 80 to 90 miles an hour is pace car speed. Now, let's be really honest here. Does a pace car navigate every aspect of the detroit track at 80 to 90 miles an hour absolutely not it would be in the wall as well but i can understand that on the straights might get up to 80 to 90 miles an hour i understand all that but if a full course yellow has been thrown on the final lap a winner has been declared checkered flag has been waived and you're truly just waiting for the rest of the cars to go under that checkered flag cross that timing stripe at start finish game over and someone is able to cross that stripe i understand it's not at the 80 to 90 you say they should but at 45 and a half is that a reason to demote someone anyone two positions I, I think it is looking to penalize compared to looking to protect right I watch a lot of other sports and I appreciate the officials, the officiating crews that do their work with a mindset of please don't give us a reason to penalize you. Okay? We aren't looking to penalize you. Please don't do anything egregious that would lead us to do so. Would you say crossing the finish line at 45 and a half miles an hour is an egregious penalty? An incident in progress? I wouldn't. At no point in time would I. And yet they did. And that just, it strikes me as wrong. It strikes me as looking to penalize someone. Uh, We're talking about the difference between 7th and ninth place. Not a big thing. Uh, didn't massively affect Simon's position in the championship. I, again, all I get this is not a big deal in the overall picture of everything. But it does just give an indicator and I put this at the end of my little note uh, in the cooldown lap thing on racer When you hear drivers complain about race control and not listening and not caring, et cetera, etc, cetera, it's these kinds of things that actually, feed that belief that create that disconnect had Pagano run out of fuel and he's limping along at two miles an hour coasting a hundred feet away from start finish do i expect the whole field to slow down and and go two miles an hour behind him i don't that's not reasonable if he'd pulled over short of the start finish out of fuel do i expect all the cars to park of course not 45 and a half miles an hour y'all that's not slow i realize that's not 80 to 90 like they would want it to be if a pace car was on track 45 and a half miles an hour though is not slow that's not too far away from pit lane speed uh, limit speed but again uh they felt big problem give up the positions you're now p9 um it just seems petty it it, it seems to lack understanding in context and again it's these things and there are a lot of other things that you hear from teams and drivers after races and go can you believe they made this decision like they're really clearly just out to penalize whenever they get a chance I'm not saying that's a fact. I'm just saying that is the belief that gets spoken to me quite a bit. And when I am read in on things like this and have the series explain exactly how they got to this determination on Sunday, in this case, I got to fully agree. Just petty. Um, These are the things that really piss people off where you go, I don't know what you think you're achieving here. But there's nothing positive. I can tell you that. Nothing positive. And of all the ways that a driver could have been penalized, like I said, he's limping along at three miles an hour, five miles an hour, dead stick. No one's going to argue anything. Pagano, or if it had been anyone else who was out of fuel, was not going to argue. Yep. Man, I mean, I, I was dreaming. I, I was, you know, trying to jump forward like you wouldn't a go-kart to try and get an extra half mile an hour to keep rolling. This wasn't the case. There was still a, what I would say a high rate of speed going, not according to IndyCar. Uh, why don't we go to Vincent 1701? He says, do you think Alexander Rossi's announcement put him in a better headspace or did his engineer and team find something? Uh, Alexander has known he's going to Aaron McLaren SP for quite some time. That is by no means anything new, Vincent. So it shouldn't have changed anything for him. Um, He had a very fast car. We saw that throughout the weekend. Um, They made that aforementioned strategery change. And knowing that a three-stop strategy compared to a two meant he would have to push like crazy every single lap. Uh, I think we just saw him freed up to go nuts and do Alexander Rossi type things. So maybe he'll say the announcement, who knows, maybe to him, the formal announcement was something that unlocked something inside of him. But I sure hope that wouldn't be the case because if that's what it takes to give your all, um, that doesn't really strike me as something that any professional would acknowledge. So i think this was just a weekend where the andretti team which has been very good on street courses colton Hurt, of course was on pole at the last one at long beach was running top three had a bit of a brain fade and crashed but was certainly capable of winning the race i think this is just an extension of the andretti team uh, having a pretty good pretty darn good street course setup i know that not all of Alexander's teammates were able to thrive in the race. Some were on two stops, Uh, at least what I think Rochon was on three. The rest didn't do so well, but yeah, I just think this guy's in his element and driving hard. I mean, he did this at what Indianapolis before the announcement finished, right? I think what improved 15 positions, whatever it was, but uh, drove towards the front, put in a great drive, um, That was before the announcement. So, yeah, I wouldn't put it down to any kind of uh, public declaration of who he's driving for next year. Joe Izzo, how you doing, Joe? Uh, He says, how awkward do things get at Andretti Autosport if uh, Alexander Rossi goes on a tear and actually wins? Or isn't isn't contention for uh, the end of year championship? He says, if he wins, does he look back and have regrets about leaving? I'd say no regrets for sure. That's a great commercial, by the way. Uh, no regrets. Um, whatever the the formula is that has been used with him at Andretti, I think it's just right it's run his course. He said as much. Um, he could and should have won races earlier this year. I'll be shocked if we end the year joe without at least one win by rossi if not two this is what the guy has done and is capable of i know the last couple years have been rough Uh, i know a lot of folks have written him off i haven't uh i feel almost like fanboy not meant to be but uh all along have said nope. this guy is amazing just as amazing as he was a couple years ago that guy doesn't magically disappear or forget how to drive. So, yeah. Um, I think he's going to be fine. I think if he goes on a tear. And I think if he wins the championship, uh, Michael Andretti would be the one to have regrets. I don't think he will, though. Um, he's a guy who needs peace. He's a guy who needs just lack of drama. Lack of... Dark clouds, he can generate his own dark clouds very easily. And so when you have external circumstances, bad luck, whatever, strategy mistakes, mechanical problems, driving errors, whatever, uh, when those things start to compound, I think that's where he gets into a bad headspace. Do I think that just being able to breathe easily and say, okay, everybody knows what's happening, even though it's been the worst kept secret? I'm sure that's been nothing but a positive for him. But whenever the car has been good enough for him to go to the front, uh, whenever he's been in the right place to make that happen, that's exactly what he's done. So if he's able to deliver like he did for Michael for a number of years, if he can do that again here, I think it'd be great for him. Uh, Imagine Aaron McLaren SP signing a guy who's an Indy 500 winner. And getting a guy who's an Indy 500 winner and an IndyCar car champion—that looks like a heck of a, a heck of a deal. Granted, I also understand, at least according to what many drivers have told me, uh, he will become one of, if not equal, basically top, highest-paid driver in the series. And so, good on him. Good on his manager, his father Peter. Uh, assuming all that's correct, um, hey, uh, he'd only be uh, rewarding. Uh, his his upcoming employers at air mclaren sp for making the right choice and signing him and also signing him to a very lucrative contract uh why do we go to dan galler again says taking the trip to road america this weekend what are you most looking forward to about this event okay so total homer time everything like there's no negative other than having to leave so the people the people the people like truly the i just love the people of road america and i realize that not everybody at road america is from wisconsin but it's just hearty beautiful people who love motor racing love indycar racing and have giant extra helpings and doses of fandom and love for the sport we go to a lot of places where folks love indycar and that's great just saying that this is a place where every year like you feel it like you just walk around going whoa this is this is like a real energy source (laughs) that that is powering IndyCar's battery in ways that you don't always feel like my home race at Laguna Seca those who show up are very passionate IndyCar fans there just aren't many who show up Uh, so therefore it's kind of hard to feel this overwhelming passion You go to Road America, oh, there's a lot of people. (laughs) There's a lot of people. And that just makes it so much easier to feel that love. Uh, The racing's great. The scenery is beautiful. I love shooting there. The uh, the good old photography, it's always the best there because it's just natural for beautiful photos. It does. It can make the worst photographers look really good just because the backgrounds are so darn purdy time permitting uh we've been wanting to do this for most of the year but time permitting our pal Dalton Kellett and I are meant to uh jump on a golf cart and for one of the either road to indie cooper tires shod road to indie sessions maybe the vintage indie registry sessions go out and shoot together cuz Dalton's getting into photography uh, he sent me some texts during the off season. And so I think he has enough gear, uh, to be able to go out and shoot. And so I'm going to try and show him a couple things and hopefully have some fun because I like me some Dalton Kellett. I have since I met the kid, uh, when he was in the road to Indy. And so that I think would just be fun. Cause again, this kind of comes back to Dan of like, there's nothing about this place that sucks. <laughs> The racing's great. The people are amazing. The food's amazing. The views are amazing. Like, the whole thing just rocks. The worst part about the IndyCar Weekend at Road America is it has an end. And I say this without naming the other tracks, but, brother, I'm telling you, I don't want to say it's half, but there's a decent number of events that I go to and maybe some others go to where you go, hey, this is cool. Been here many times. I won't be the least bit upset when it's over, right? Again, I'll enjoy all of it. It's great, but eh, it's not really tugging at the good old heartstrings. Road America is one of those places where you're like, no, 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 no. Make this a five-day event. Make it six, please. So uh, there you go. Uh, Mitsuki Matsura, how you doing? It says marshall Sun. what do you expect for the first race for Preda Autosport in Simona with Ed Carpenter Racing this weekend? I says, I hope you have a nice time there. Thank you. Thank you, Mitsuki. I'm going to have very, very tempered expectations. Simona, as I wrote today in a story with Beth, Simona has not driven an IndyCar on a road course since 2015. Oh boy. Uh, I mean, for context, uh, Barack Obama was our president. So, like, a couple presidents ago was the last time she was on a road course uh, in an Indy car. And it certainly didn't have an Aero screen. It had manufacturer bodywork and 18 trillion pounds of downforce. I know she's driven uh, at the Indy 500 with an Aero screen and the new bodywork. But definitely uh, everything else is going to be vastly different. So, she's had two days. We'll have had two days on the Chevy Simulator in north carolina uh before she hits the uh hits free practice one on friday but last time she was there in an indy car i'm sorry internet last time she was there i believe according to beth was in form atlantic day so that would have been 2009 (laughs) so 12 years since she's been to the track seven years since she's been in an indy car on a road course and more or less everything about that Indy car has changed. Meeting a new race engineer, John Genolosi, son of Paul Genalozzi, Uh meeting her new race engineer, well, granted, she's met him already, but in terms of working relationship, she's going to get to know her new race engineer in a competition environment during that first practice session, and she's going to learn to work with teammates, Arenas V.K and Connor Daly for the first time there. This is not something where if she's any more than one or two rows off of the final row in qualifying, like if she's, I don't remember how many cars, there's going to be 27, I think. If she qualifies better than 23rd or 24th, like all credit to her. We know that in a fully warmed, ready top flight, everything, testing, and she's had just all the everything you would want, we know that she could rock up and I would say make the Firestone Fast 12 uh, if ECR is on this weekend. If Ed can do it, I'm sorry, if Connor can do it or Renus can do it in their cars, I would say there would be zero reason why Simona could not do it in her car, make it into the Fast 12. A... ECR is still at a place where we don't exactly know what to expect from them each weekend. So throw in all the things that I mentioned, all the things she's going to have to figure out, getting up to speed. I mean, she's raced other cars. She's raced, you know, Formula E and GT and a variety of things, but she has not had anything like an IndyCar in terms of speed to drive in a really long time. So she's going to be learning a track again i know she's done that simulator time at suki but she's going to be learning it and feeling it and finding all the spots on the track that are best or not best and what the tires have to say to her and all these things she's going to be learning a ton in free practice one she's going to have a night to sleep on it which is great that's going to be really helpful if friday had two practice sessions that would actually not be great because she would not pick up a ton from first to second. Do You really do. Every driver will tell you. If it's been a while, if it's a new track, if it's a new car, whatever it is, the ability to go have dinner, let it all sink in and process, look at the data, but just let it all kind of digest and come back in the morning fresh, uh, that's where you see an appreciable jump in speed. So Friday, I don't expect much from her. I expect her to be at or near the bottom uh free practice two saturday morning i expect to see some improvement but nothing crazy if she's in the low 20s maybe even the high teens that will be freaking phenomenal uh and then qualifying i mean again i don't expect much more than uh, mid-teens high teens low 20s just because everyone else is coming in Full season, basically, full speed, you name it, warm, ready, having raced uh, at Barber and gotten a feel for that, having raced on the Indy road course, you know, folks are going to have some uh, pretty decent natural terrain road course experience coming in. She won't. So what happens in the race, I can't tell you. But to me, this is a weekend where we just say, hey, you are knocking off a ton of rust. Can't wait to see you back in a few weeks at Mid Ohio. And really can't wait to see you later in the season at Nashville. So um anything other than last row uh or last two rows, I would say, Mitsuki, we need to look at that as a major achievement, even for someone as talented as Simona. And if she exceeds those expectations, it's just further proof that she is a genuine badass uh let's see i'm just going to take a look here and see how many more questions we got before uh the farewell point here from jim uh let's see we got a couple questions here andrew brumfield andrew says marshall i always notice it seems to be an act of congress to get an indycar into reverse says uh for instance this past weekend scotty mclaughlin reached somewhere over his left knee while also messing with the steering wheel over and over can you explain the process uh, there is a kind of detent I know I believe you have to pull out to engage reverse and it just sounded like uh, trying to undo the lockout for that while also trying to engage reverse is just something that I don't know if the engine had a was idling high or if he had his foot on the throttle but you kept hearing the ah oh, oh a grinding of gears and that not really happening so i actually spoke with scotty earlier today for a a story i didn't think to ask him what exactly was going sideways there but yeah uh there is a lockout that you have to overcome in order to engage reverse and it just appeared that was the uh, that was the thing that was kind of the uh, bane of his existence there that ended up causing him to go lap down and uh, finish 19th um, Steve Bonak, how you doing, Steve? Uh says I'm bringing you some beer for Road America. Hope to see you. Well, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Uh if you are, make sure it's it, it's dark, like something you can't really see through. That's my happy beer place. I says my question is about our man Scotty Mac. What is going on? It's after the hot start, big time struggles. Any idea why missing on setup, pushing too much, cartoon anvils? What might it be? Yeah. Just said, look, been making too many mistakes. You know, it's. I think his his quote was, you know, I get ninety nine point five percent of a race straight, and slightly off on that other half percent. And with IndyCar being as competitive as it is, uh, you're done. And so that's really been the tale of I think his last three races in a row, Steve. So. Yeah, I mean, we we ended the conversation. I just said to him, like, look, man, Road America is the perfect place for you to hit that reset button. You know, you have made some mistakes. There have been some other things that haven't necessarily been, you know, your fault, but regardless of why, you've gone from first in the championship after the opening two rounds to 10th. There's plenty of time for you to get back to the front, but you're going to have to start that here. Uh, I think, I do think Road America, Mid-Ohio, two places where no concrete walls, no crazy anything uh, to make him pay immediately for the smallest errors. I do think these are going to be two good weekends for him. They have to be. Uh, These have to be good reset, finish top five, top six, if not better at both and get himself back on track. If either of these two races or both of these two races go sideways for him, uh, boy, any hopes of a title, uh, I think we're going to be looking at uh, being gone. But yeah, just hit a rough patch. And I think he's realizing, like, okay, it doesn't matter how well you do uh, if you get to a point where you make a mistake where you make a big enough mistake to cause real repercussions. I don't mean you you overshot a corner and you, were, you lost a second in that corner and someone got by you. That's fine. That happens to almost everybody in every race. It's the kind of things you go, oh, there's a real price to pay for that. Um, remember I had a school, uh, I think it was junior college, College of San Mateo, and I would super excel i forget what class it was it might have been english i think i would like do super great get amazing grades and then feel like you know what i can cruise a little bit and i either wouldn't do an assignment or i'd skip a day or two or a week or whatever it was um and i just remember the teacher stopping me before walking into class and basically saying yeah you're actually no longer a part of this class and i'm like what he said yeah well i warned you he says i told you like You have this this reward system in your head that just exists nowhere else. Like it truly exists just for you in your mind, where you think you can, again, like just kick ass. And then that gets you some sort of kind of cruise mode. And his point was like, well, yeah, so first of all, you're no longer in my class. Sorry, but uh, you've done that to yourself. But I need you to understand. Like It doesn't matter if you do great for the majority of the semester. like It's the whole body of work that matters and gets graded. So stop coming up with your own grading system because this isn't going to work in any other class because it certainly isn't working in mine because you're not in my class anymore. I'm not saying that's what Scott's doing, but I am saying that after demonstrating in the first few rounds, like, whoa, this guy is a force and this guy is not making any mistakes and is just clean and smooth and on it, there just seems to be some sort of slight lapses that come in like, hey, doing well, everything's all right, but just that slight missing of something. Slightly missing of something. And I think that same little thing I mentioned that my teacher once told me that radically changed my approach on life. I just wonder if there's something there for Scotty of a, okay, well, I can set fastest laps and be a rock star and pass everybody on the planet, but if I do something that gives it all up or takes me from 5th to 15th or whatever, does any of the stuff that I did beforehand really matter? And so, again, I'm not saying what he's going through is what I went through, but I just do wonder if... There needs to be a bigger picture approach taken of like, okay, well, what if I don't go 147% into that corner and hope to pass somebody? What if I don't do that? And what if I suffer the consequences of losing a position? Well, that is something I could live with compared to I just forfeited 15 positions and I'm a lap down. So is that the big picture adjustment he needs? We'll find out. Uh, let's see, going to get down to the last couple of items here. Where do we go? Take a look at where we're at on the clock. Yep. Coming up at almost an hour. Keep in mind, I think I flapped my gums up front for about seven or eight minutes. So, uh, I always try and weigh the, uh, how long of a show do we actually do in terms of the Q and a, so that's what I aim to do for about an hour, hour 10. So let's see, Maddie McDonald hey mp is this what firestone is aiming for from reds versus primaries reds that fall apart in four to six laps after uh being seemingly only marginally faster before that primaries that are more or less last indefinitely um and if it is is that the right balance um yeah you have a couple other things to throw in here and I, i appreciate all of that um This question or this this kind of question, Maddie, is kind of always the thing that comes in after Firestone, quote, gets the uh, red balance wrong. So at the we have races where the reds last seemingly forever, and there's almost no difference between reds and blacks. That's getting it wrong. We have events like we just completed in Detroit where the reds were a pretty serious liability in only very rare instances willpower. Being probably the one that made them work the best i think scott dixon also did a really good job on them alex Palou and their middle stints but really there's just two or three drivers that stand out that really <sighs> produced impressive speed while also not overtaxing their reds to get them to last whatever the number was 15 20 laps 18 laps but yeah in general Firestone made something that was way too combustible and everyone couldn't wait to get off of. Uh, And those who were, quote, stuck on them had to compromise speed to get more laps out of them to make their pit strategy work or, in Power's case, to get to the finish line in first place. (sighs) Definitely not what they're trying to do, but we do sometimes have these, oh, you overshot it or you undershot it. I'd argue... Knowing what I thought was a real thriller of a finish, of a race, is Rossi going to be able to chase him down? Got it down to uh, 1.0027 seconds from like a 16-second deficit, right? Um, I'm not saying that they got the balance right on durability for the Reds at Detroit, but I would say, boy, it sure created some thrills Uh, last year we had some thrills too Um, I don't know kind of like balance of performance if you're a sports car fan Like very rarely do they get it 100% right it's usually way too far in one direction in some instances or for some vehicles Um, always something to complain about I don't know was the racing good? That's maybe the thing I'll come back to. Was the racing good? I thought it was. So uh, maybe that, to me, diminishes the uh, at le- the amount that I want to bark about it, at least. But I understand why uh, some others would. Um, Otto, no better. It says, is it time to end the required use for the primary and alternate tires? It made sense to introduce strategy when the grid wasn't that competitive. Uh, now that half the field can win on raw pace... The rule seems counterproductive. Uh it took Newgarden, Pelow, and Dixon out of contention. Um hmm, okay. Uh the rule wasn't introduced because there were lesser competitive teams and this would maybe give them a chance. Uh it was truly meant to just introduce some um, additional strategy options. So I guess that's one little clarification. Um hello had a terrible qualifying and finished fourth, I think, was it? Fifth, whatever it was. Um, Dixon had a, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great qualifying, finished third. Um, Newgarden on the pole finished fourth. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> without this higher rule without the strategy options um i think polo finishes 18th or wherever he started way the heck back dixon finishes way out um i mean to, i don't know I, i'm not fully grasping some of the gotta change it should stop it do something different like I, I don't i'm not sure i grasp all that because at least for the race that i watched there was a guy in will power started 16th and won um and he tried a very risky tire strategy um anyways um yeah i thought this event thanks to the tire rules also admittedly thanks to the reds being way less the hot ticket uh than they should have been um even though Firestone, quote, got it wrong on the Reds, I thought this, all this stuff, the different types of tires, the rules forcing you to use them, the option to go to different race strategies and folks diving off the Reds early and others not, and some trying the Reds in the middle, uh, power at least, saving it for the last. Like I thought that created all the excitement and drama. So, again, maybe I don't, Uh, clearly i don't see it but like take all these things away i think we have one of the most boring detroit grand prix's ever so i'm really thankful (laughs) that firestone had reds that were certainly not great for durability and i'm super thankful there is a rule that requires uh, the running of both because otherwise uh that would have been a really sad farewell to uh to belle isle uh we're gonna start winding down here Our pal Ryan Terpster again says, I hope it's good to be home after a long time away. It is, uh, like being able to feel my wife's skin, like to hold her hand, to rest my hand on her, uh, arm, um, to hold her and hug her and like, uh, I think we, we agreed. This is the longest I have ever been away from home ever. Uh, it, I've been to Lamar where it was like two and a half weeks, maybe. Um, I've been other places where it's been two ish, two and a half weeks. Never has it been three and a half, (laughs) um, six days shy, six days shy of 30 days gone. 24 days crazy like truly crazy so yes uh my wife is everything to me as you many of you may know so yes thank you ryan uh for giving me that little interlude here let me take a sip of my coffee you say now that silly season is a raging inferno is it fair to say the uh unfilled Air mclaren sp number six car in the marshank racing zero six car are the two hottest seats in town. Hmm. How deep do we go here? (laughs) This is, this is one where I probably cannot, uh, go deep into, uh, deep into things at all. So let's talk about the vacant. Well, I, I, sorry, I apologize. Um, McLaren sp has said alexander rossi will be driving their third car now does that mean it is the six is that the number he'll be in uh will he be placed in the seven if felix rosenquist isn't retained for that again i don't know but let's assume they're talking about the six i did ask what car number he'd be in they said that's tbd if they have since told other people that they know it'll be the six i apologize but let's start there so the big rumor coming out of indy was hey uh, Alex Pillow, McLaren, things are happening. Um, that was spread on Twitter by a reporter, um, had heard that thing, Pillow, McLaren, you name it. Um, I didn't tweet about it. I didn't write about it um just saying this is something someone else put out fair enough a lot of folks put out a lot of things some of them catch get gain traction some don't um i knew that this was not going anywhere uh as i understand it our dear friend mr pillow a member of the prude by the way legitimately (laughs) Uh, alex is a a member of the prude day card-carrying member um believe he's under contract at chip ganassi racing through 2024 that's what i understand not stating that as fact just saying that that's what i i understand i am unaware of there being any mechanism for him to not be at chip ganassi racing through 2024 so is there something in a contract that could get him out and what i I don't know believe it or not haven't seen the contract but as i understand it even if Roger Penske wanted him or Toto Wolf wanted him guys under contract for a little while longer at Chip Ganassi racing after this season, two more years. That's what I believe to be factually accurate. So do I also understand that there was some form of outreach and inquiry and interest expressed by McLaren? Yes, I do believe that to be a fact is there super happiness between air mclaren sp and chip ganassi racing no there's not uh i've written about this i have mentioned on the podcast none of this should come as a surprise unless you're a newish fan to indycar um While trying to amplify Air McLaren SP after McLaren got involved, uh, they went after Scott Dixon, trying to sign Scott Dixon. Uh, That was unsuccessful. That did not make the Chip Ganassi racing team very happy. Um, His main teammate at the time, Felix Rosenquist, was the next option. They did get him. Uh, So went after Ganassi's lead driver, didn't go anywhere. Talks happened, but didn't go anywhere. Uh, then went after Ganassi's number two driver. Did get him. Uh, the Ganassi team, as I understand it, really didn't want him to go. Uh, they weren't looking to move on. Um, but window opened for signing, and I think a mistake was made, possibly, by Ganassi not understanding that you know Felix maybe wasn't 100% happy. And someone came knocking and said, hey, we'd love for you to be our driver. And he took it. And there you go. So tried with the top driver, didn't happen. Tried with the number two driver, did happen. Maybe see a trend here. So going after another Ganassi driver, guy who happens to be the reigning champion. Also happens to be, as I have said, under contract. Um, I wasn't at Detroit, but I know that I have seen some quotes, uh, and some folks have told me some quotes they have read from Alex saying, boy, everything's great. Everything's good at Ganassi, not looking to leave. Everything's happy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think some of that might've been a putting some water on a fire that could have gotten big, but was stopped from being big. So, do I think there was some outreach from McLaren and some interest expressed possibly from Alex? I would have to think there was, I know that there was outreach. I know that there was interest expressed. Um, beyond that, uh, I will probably stop. Um, there's been some other things I've heard about that have happened. I'll confirm them here in a couple days. Once I get to road America, um, But, yeah, have heard the main thing about this and where there might have been some interest coming back was this dangling of Formula One testing, maybe getting a super license. Um, That seems to be dangled in front of a lot of people. Um, If you're a driver in IndyCar who harbors any kind of dream of being an F1, There's only one team in IndyCar that has an F1 team. Granted, it's kind of the other way around. It's an F1 team that has an IndyCar team. But nonetheless, there's one and only pathway uh, if you're in IndyCar to try and get to F1 among those you know and interact with, and that's on the McLaren side. So as I have heard, and I've heard this from a few people, um, both this side of the pond and the other side of the pond, The interest that was expressed, I think, had an IndyCar angle to it. Come drive for us. But again, no real option to do do that right now. But I think the real interest might have been a desire to do some testing in F1. And who knows, maybe even if everything goes perfectly, have an opportunity to drive in Formula One. So is that a slight shift on some of the rumors that were going around? Maybe. It right, kind of all comes back to the same place, but still, as I've heard it and heard it from some well-understanding folks, this side of the pond and the other, um, the real hook, the, the, the hook that was being baited, yes, there was an, obviously an IndyCar angle, come drive for us an IndyCar, but really the one that caused whatever amount of nibbling or biting on that hook Uh, all centered around Formula One and that carrot being dangled in front of yet another driver, just as it has been with Colton Herta, just as it's been with Pato Award. So IndyCar drivers dream of F1. I think that's where this gained whatever amount of chatting, dreaming, emailing, texting, I don't know what. But yeah. Uh, It would appear some real clarifications uh, of who was or wasn't available and whether a driver who wanted to go do that was or wasn't available to do that. Sounds like those things were made crystal clear in and around Detroit uh, because the quotes coming out of Detroit spoke to everything's good, super happy here, the end. Uh, as for the Shank side with the 06, currently driven by Elio Castro Um I have heard there could be some testing here, Ryan, in the next... Actually, I don't know, know exactly. I th- is it end of the month? July? I'm not sure. Um, just as Shank did during the off season when both Simon and Elio were full-time as well. Um, I think they're going to test some more drivers. Do I think Elio is officially not going to return full time in the 06? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if the guy goes and wins this weekend and and I mean, right now he's 16th in the championship. Wasn't his fault with what happened at Detroit, obviously. Keep in mind he came into Detroit, I think, 18th in the championship. Um, I'll have to look again. But, you know. Um Hasn't been the year that they would hope so far. Pagano is eighth in the standings right now, so that is pretty darn competitive. Uh, but yeah, I know that just like Air McLaren SP wants both of its drivers, current drivers, to be right up front all the time uh, and both vying for really, really solid championship finishes. Um, I know Shank is in the same place. I think if Elio can show, that, yeah, uh, we're gonna put the we're almost at the halfway point of the season. If we can put a lot of this behind us and just go start knocking out top fives titles out of reach for the most part. But uh, I think if Elio can show that he can live in the top five, uh, I think that might make it easier for Shank to say, you know what, let's keep this full time party going. If there's more difficulties and he ends up 13th in the standings or 14th or whatever it is, Yeah, uh, I think this will end up being his last full-time season. Do I think he'll be back for the 500 with them? Of course, provided he wants to be with them. Um, But yeah, uh, we're at a a pretty crucial point right now, I think, for Elio, just in terms of output. And if he has more car problems and things that aren't of his making, those are going to suck. But I don't think there's going to be any kind of caveats given, Ryan, where they go, oh, well, you know, You had some more bad finishes, but they weren't your fault. I think they're just in, let's see, the results um, place right now. And anything other than that is not going to be awesome. Uh, Let's see, where are we at on the clock? All right, we are, uh, where are we going to be? I got two to go here. Um, Nathan, our pal at Indy Nathan. I wonder if Linus Lindquist continues his domination in Indy Lights, and if he does, where would he see him in IndyCar next year? Funny you should ask. I just uh, spoke with our boy Linus today for a little story. Uh, I'm aware of one team he's met with, IndyCar team. Uh, I won't say who because that's not really meant for uh, uh, consumption, public consumption right now. But, yeah, uh, barring anything strange, he's going to run away with a Lights championship, get that advancement prize, and is it a Foyt? i think Foyt might be uh a place that would love to have that million plus dollars just as kyle kirkwood was able to bring this year after that who else uh, i think a carpenter might look at him uh, although do they want to go with another rookie if they end up losing uh renas could they trade renas for lenus i don't know um Does a shank seem like a little bit of a a higher bar for a rookie than I would expect right now? Maybe so. Um, I don't know if I see a ton of immediate options that jump out, uh, Nathan. But, yeah, let's see how this silly season continues to play out. I also have a couple of Indy Lights questions asking if Hunkos will return next year. I need to ask Ricky I uh, asked, does exclusive Autosport finally field some cars and Indy Lights uh, for real this time? Yet another thing I need to ask. I apologize for uh, failing you here. Uh, hopefully get a chance to check up, uh, check in with Michael Duncalf there, uh, who I've known for uh, kind of a really long time. Um, just looking here. Risha uh, Deshpond, you're asking about struggles for Rahal Letterman lanigan Uh, call Graham today. He didn't, didn't answer. I'll try him again tomorrow. I think I know the reason why they're having issues, but, uh, um, just want to hear from him. Uh, Brian Cohn, you got a question about any 500 blackouts. I have no idea. Um, the TV reception was so bad in my hotel. I couldn't even watch the replay. So I have no idea what was going on locally, uh, there as well um kyle alex223 maybe i'll go with you here um on the uh on the last question i don't know if i've read one from you before kyle so if not thank you it says uh when colton hurt is on he's the best driver in the paddock but when his indycar career has been a uh, very inconsistent sometimes be, things beyond his control um he hasn't been in a championship or indy 500 hunt uh on the other end of things when he's not the best driver in the paddock you say, do you think there's a timetable where he's not considered the next big thing like Pato Award? That's a great one. I guess I would look at this and say, what has Andretti Autosport's biggest liability been over the last two years, three years, four years, whatever the number is? Usually, barring colton Herta, everyone else has been massively inconsistent been crazy amounts of bad luck also some vehicle prep issues but whatever uh engines blowing up and cartoon anvils falling and all kinds of stuff but normally colton has been the one who can cut through all of that finish whatever it was third in the championship fourth fifth whatever but right he's been the antidote to all of that this year has indeed been a little strange where there have been a few too many races, well, I mean, we haven't had a lot of races yet, but there have been a few too many where he just really wasn't there. You know, not, And I mean that in the sense of what we expect from him, right? The guy is always, he should always be on the podium. That's how good he is in terms of driving talent. Last weekend, didn't see much of him. Indy 500, we know the problems there, but those are self-made. He acknowledged the pushing way too hard on carb day uh, when the car was oversteering and that was an issue and he still chose to keep his foot in it and had a problem and crashed and things went downhill from there. Totally self-induced. The flip side to this is Pato. Seemingly the guy that's been a little more high wire high emotion just right a little all over the place and yet the guy was vying for a championship pretty much all of last season led the championship at two different points i know that his last race things went sideways of course got speared uh, had a roman reigns spear thrown on him by ed jones at the hairpin screwed his race screwed his championship potential again i don't think he was going to win it anyways but just could that guy have been second in the standings yes absolutely if not for uh, ed's dive bomb um and where is he at this year sitting third again right just there Won to race already obviously so that part's great but just this guy is just finding a way even when things are not Super excellent and winning is not really a feasible uh, probability or possibility for him, right? Uh, the guy has just been pretty darn good. I know it was a little bit of a rough open to the season for him. Finally, got his head straight at Long Beach. You know, the IMS road course was not super friendly for him. But if if we go after those first two rounds, where he admitted his head was off. Head wasn't in the game. The guy has finished, what, fifth at Long Beach, won at Barber. Had those problems I mentioned at uh, Indy Road Course. A lot of people did, so I don't really single him out for that. Um, Second at the Indy 500, and then fifth last weekend. Did not look like he had race-winning speed at all last weekend, and yet didn't make any mistakes, didn't burn his tires off, didn't do anything silly to set himself back. Started fifth, finished fifth. And those are the kinds of attributes you use to win championships. He's sitting third in the standings right now. Could easily leave road America with the lead in hand or being up to second. So, so I just mentioned these things because I then, you know, you look at Colton's year and there are some real similarities to Pato's, right? Um, would say that, hey, things started off well with 4th at St. Pete. Um, Texas wasn't great. Crashed. Uh, unforced error at Long Beach, so poor finish there. Decent at Barber, but not fantastic. Won at Indy Road Course, which was amazing. We know things didn't go well at Indianapolis. Uh, finished terribly there and then had a decent but not remarkable run to 8th this past weekend. Uh, The Indy 500 is what really, really hurt, but also that really bad finish at Long Beach too, and he's 11th in the standings and needs some magical performances to uh, get back in the title hunt. So do I think there's a chance that, yeah, uh, he could be regarded as no longer the golden child if he doesn't, kind of get things back on track. I do. Uh, he finished third in 2020 in the standings fifth last year. <sighs> 11th right now, isn't terrible, but this is the first time that I've seen this real kind of, I don't know what I'm going to get from you type thing from Colton. Um, it's weird to see this coming in. What is his, what fourth full season? um, He's halfway through his fourth full season and has shown us amazing consistency uh, in his first couple of years. It's just a little weird to see this kind of hair-trigger, not-sure-what's-going-to-happen thing going on. He has said there's nothing there. There's no mental tripwires that have set him back, etc., etc. So, I mean, I'll, I'll obviously believe him until I see otherwise, but we are in a weird place where could he go... Take, pole and win this weekend and run away from everybody and destroy the field? Absolutely. Could he be 11th or 12th or 9th and kind of unremarkable? Yeah. Um, I can't say that about Pato. I can't say that about Air McLaren SP. I think they're going to be top five, top six contender to win, but I expect them to be there thereabouts every weekend because they've given us a reason to believe that. So that's driver and team. So I can't isolate Colton from his team because obviously he doesn't prepare his own car and set it up and do his own pit stops and et cetera, et cetera. But there is a question mark. Uh, this past weekend, Alexander Rossi was the best of all of them. And surprisingly, Romain Grosjean was kind of nowhere before that, uh, go back to the last race at Indy, and Alex was the best there was within the team. The race before that, it was Colton. The race before that, again, it's, it's usually been Colton, but Romain has been in there as well as the best one of the team. It's been kind of a revolving door of who's best from weekend to weekend. That's the main thing here. That's what I'm going to close on. From the moment he... Came in, granted, it was with Harding Steinbrenner Racing as an affiliate team, but really, from the moment he came in, he established himself as the best within the greater Andretti camp. When he went to the full Andretti team in 2020, unquestioned. Number one guy, period, end of of sentence. Uh, Rossi, Hunter Ray, doesn't matter who it was. Colton was the top guy. Last year, Colton, top guy, period. End of sentence. This season, to my great surprise, that's no longer a guarantee. Do I think he's the most talented driver of all of the drivers at Andretti Autosport? Yes. Talent doesn't matter, though. The folks who score the races and and tally the points for the championship, they don't care who the most talented is. They look at the results. We've gone from the last couple of years where Colton Herta was without question the top dog, the lead dog, the one who was going to be the best for Andretti Autosport at every race. Didn't always work out that way. I get that. But more or less, the guy was going to be the lead driver in qualifying, have the best position, running up front, right? Always there, thereabouts. What's different this year? Do we know? If he's going to be the top guy this weekend, no. Could be Romain. It could be Alexander. That's a change. That is different. Um, I, I hope I get to explore this topic with him because this isn't something we've seen. What has changed to no longer be the expected top guy at every round? Does he see that or acknowledge it? Does it affect him? I don't know but this is different when we go to road America this weekend. Is there any question as to which driver at air McLaren SP is going to be P one within the team? If not P one in the overall session, zero, it's an interesting one for sure. And I do appreciate you bringing that up. Also appreciate all of you for everything you sent in. I apologize to those whose questions we didn't get to did end up going into a little bit of overtime here. Uh, I appreciate y'all. I really do Uh, and I love doing this show and I am going to get back into the groove of generating more podcasts. I've been doing this for too long uh, to not do that and uh, I apologize for letting my foot off the throttle. I think this is going to be episode like 1,276 maybe, 77, whatever the number is. Uh, It's a lot and yeah, um, we're going to get back in the groove and uh, be in that place where we need to be of just leading folks with uh, a lot of good podcast content. So thanks to all of you. Thanks to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and torontomotorsports.com. And we'll be back here on Wednesday with our pal Beth Peretta. I'll put out the call for questions here very shortly for her. And once, once again, on behalf of our cats, Rosie and Rocky, or sunning themselves as the sun is going down here in California and for my wife, Shabrell. Thank you. Speak to you soon.